You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A flight out of Vancouver took a frightening turn when the plane unexpectedly hit severe turbulence. Dozens of passengers were injured as they were tossed around the cabin. The flight, traveling from Toronto through Vancouver and onto Sydney, Australia, when it was forced to make an emergency landing in Honolulu. Aaron MacArthur has more from passengers who describe why so many were injured. The damage is striking. Oxygen masks dangling from cracked bulkheads. The impact of passengers slamming into the ceiling. Severe turbulence shaking the Air Canada 777. It went bang and the, it, and the people just shot up. And then down again. The girl hit the, hit the plastic overhead and actually snapped and broke it. And the oxygen masks came down. Once the injured passengers were assessed on board, the decision was made to turn back to Honolulu for an emergency landing. Paramedics met the plane on the tarmac. 37 people needed treatment, 30 were taken to hospital. Nine were serious, 21 were stable. Severe clear air turbulence is rare, but when it happens, it happens without warning. Anyone not belted in is thrown around the cabin. I just hit the roof and my nose started bleeding. I was just up in the air and then straight in the aisle. She was in a middle seat and I was on the window, yeah. so she's gone over someone and into the aisle. Travel experts say the seatbelt sign is illuminated for a reason. The reality is that no matter which flight you're on, they can happen at any time, so it's important to wear your seatbelt no matter what. Passengers praising the staff on board who dealt with injured passengers first before thinking of their own condition and saying staff communicated clearly at all times what was going on. Everything was handled really well. Everyone was like promptly. We made a decision to come down. Air Canada has provided hotel accommodations for the night and will reschedule the remainder of the flight to Sydney Friday afternoon. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A large police presence in Langley this afternoon to investigate a report of shots fired. Air One, the Lower Mainland Police Dog Services and the Emergency Response Team assisting Langley RCMP, who were called out to a property in the Willoughby area. When they entered the home, they found no one injured, but several men were seen running from the property. As a result, police shot down a number of roads in the area. At this point, investigators believe this incident is both targeted and drug-related. Vancouver police say they aren't even safe in Oppenheimer Park anymore, raising concerns tonight about a growing threat on the downtown east side. Catherine Urquhart joins us with more on this. And Catherine, there was a shooting in the area last night, and police say that's just part of a major uptick in emergency calls there. Mm -hmm. That's right, Chris. There has been a substantial increase in the number of 911 calls linked to violent incidents within Oppenheimer Park. And Vancouver police say something has to change. Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park, now home to dozens of homeless people living in tents. It's also the scene of markedly increased violence. Vancouver police now warning people not to go there. I wouldn't recommend uh, the general public to, to walk through Oppenheimer right now. Uh, obviously, there's an increase in violence. Wednesday night at about 10.30, someone was shot in the park. A 31-year-old man was taken to hospital and remains in stable condition. The shooter still at large. Earlier Wednesday, a VPD member was assaulted as she tried to assist city crews in the area. 
Oppenheimer Park, now considered so dangerous, officers will only attend in groups. Uh, when our officers are going to go through the park for a call for service or anything routine, they'll go uh, routinely, and what I'm hearing, in no less than four officers together, uh, just for officer safety. So I mean, these are armed officers, they're trained officers, they work the area, but they feel, uh, you know, it's so unsafe right now that they need to go in a group of four officers. In June, Vancouver police responded to 92 emergency calls in the park up from 56 for the same month last year. Now, we requested comment from someone at Vancouver City Hall. The mayor is chair of the Vancouver Police Board, but we were told no one was available. Instead, a statement was emailed to Global News. It acknowledged the seriousness of the safety issues within Oppenheimer Park, noting that city staff and homelessness services will continue to work with people in the park. Chris, back to you. All right, Catherine Urquhart in Vancouver. Thank you. Some scary moments in Port Coquitlam overnight when two cars burst into flames. Coquitlam RCMP believe a botched attempt to steal a catalytic converter caused those fires. Jill Bennett has more from concerned neighbours and what police know about the suspects. Neighbours watched as flames engulfed two cars parked on Riverside Drive in Port Coquitlam around 3.30 Thursday morning. Sounded like a... Uh one of these uh, large firecrackers going off at a distance, but it had more of a, a volume to it. It, when I, it woke me up when I first heard it. It's pretty frightening when it's uh, close to your home, because it could have been anybody's car. It would have been much worse if it was on the side of the, of the road. The fire was quickly deemed suspicious by crews who put it out. It now appears it may have been caused by thieves trying to take part of an exhaust system. When you're trying to take out a catalytic converter and you're not doing it in the comfort and safety of a shop, it is possible that sparks or some other ignition source could be created. And that's what we're looking at for this file, at least early in the investigation. Coquitlam RCMP say they are seeing an uptick in catalytic converter thefts. It's unclear if the suspects are the same in every case, but they did get a description of those who might be responsible for the latest attempt. We're looking for four individuals, four males, who were inside an older model sedan. That sedan was seen leaving the area. No one was injured, but both vehicles were destroyed by the fire, something that has left residents concerned. I mean, you know, it's a couple hundred feet from my house, and, you know... Little Port Coquitlam is, isn't so safe anymore. Police are still looking for more witnesses and say even though no one was hurt, this is a crime that can put people, their property and their pets in danger. Jill Bennett, Global News. A new report shows rising land costs and credit card processing fees may have contributed to high gas prices in B.C., but it doesn't fully explain the jump. The new study published by the B.C. Utilities Commission indicates gasoline retail margins, or the difference between the wholesale price of fuel and the retail price less tax, highly correlate with local land values. The study also says the credit card processing fees, which are applied as part of the total transaction, are higher in places like Vancouver. However, even with those factors taken into account, 1.4 cents per liter in the retail margin remains unaccounted for. New numbers tonight show how much the speculation tax is expected to help the, the housing crisis in B.C. The province estimating revenue brought in from the tax at $115 million. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the numbers and who's being hit the hardest, Keith? <laughs> 
Yeah, when the tax was first announced, Sophie, there was lots of speculation about just how uh, many people were going to be affected by the speculation tax. Finance Ministry releasing figures today as of July 4th, so they're pretty well up to date now that most people have filled out those applications online declaring whether you're uh, owner of a vacant second property or not. And here is what we're looking at. First of all, 38% of uh, those paying of those properties covered by this are, are owned by foreign owners. Those are non-Canadians, uh, non-Canadian residents. Also, 27% are considered what be what are called satellite families. Those are families where 50% of their income or more comes from outside the country. And just 20%, and even though this is probably a significant number, are actually BC residents who own non-rented second or even additional homes than that. Those are probably what we're talking about, the vacation cabins there. And 13% represent the Canadian residents outside of BC. So as you can see, the biggest number there, foreign uh, owners. Uh, Carol James, I caught up to her today. She agrees that this alone is not going to reduce the cost of housing in Metro Vancouver, much of the province. But she says there's other tools at the government's disposal. And she notes again, this is not a short-term fix. This is a long-term gain government doesn't have all the tools to be able to deal with the housing market. The economy has an impact. Mortgage rules have an impact. Interest rates have an impact. But I have to say I'm, I'm really pleased. We took some very bold steps. We're the first jurisdiction to ever have a speculation and vacancy tax in place. We're the first jurisdiction that's moving on a registry uh, for Bearland Trust so people won't be able to hide behind a numbered company. They'll actually have to disclose who's there. So I'm feeling quite positive about the direction, but it is not a short-term fix. So the next development on this taxation issue is Carol James will be meeting with the mayors in the regions affected by the tax sometime in September. Get some feedback and see if any changes are required. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. All right, remember that phrase, bear trust. It's going to come up again right here. In an exclusive investigation, sources tell Global News a veteran federal politician had been placed on the RCMP's radar because of an alleged connection to people with suspected links to organized crime. Sources say an RCMP file was opened on Richmond MP Joe Pescasolito after confidential police informants alleged that he knowingly associated with suspected Chinese organized crime figures through his former law practice in Richmond. It's alleged the law firm was involved in bare trust and development deals with a suspected drug boss and construction tycoon tied to a transnational money laundering probe. There's nothing illegal about bear trusts, but because it can hide the true identity of participants, experts have linked the practice to washing dirty money in Canadian real estate. Pesca Solito told Global News he never personally conducted bear trust deals, but acknowledged other lawyers at the firm who were independent contractors did participate in the practice. Pesca Solito was also photographed at various community events sponsored by Tiger Wan and Paul King Jin. Police sources and court documents show both men have been targets of RCMP investigations into either drug trafficking or money laundering. Neither Juan, Jin, Pesca Solito or any of the lawyers at his former law firm have been charged. I wouldn't have known uh, what you've just outlined to me. It's uh, MPs, elected officials, we, we don't check all that you've described before we go to an event. It's an event in the community. It was in, uh, I go to events first in the riding, then in Richmond, and then if there is some type of connection to, um, to our community in Vancouver or in Surrey, I would go. 
Global News investigative reporter Sam Cooper joins us now with more on those photographs and what happened to Pesca Salido's former law firm. Sam. Well, the first photo is of an event in Richmond. It was for a a Canada-China boxing event. Mr. Pesca Salido is shown shaking hands with the promoter. A few interesting things. The promoter, Ron Zhang Yuan, is a former Chinese army hero, a top suspect in an RCMP organized crime investigation, and the gym is linked to illegal casinos. Another photo shows them meeting a month later at a Vancouver Chinese culture club opening. Both gave speeches, but Mr. Pesca Salido says he does not know Mr. Yuan. As for the law firm, it's been uh, taken over by the Law Society. They won't explain the reasons. Mr. Pescaslito says he voluntarily wound down the firm to focus on his political duties. Compelling report. Thanks very much, Sam. Sam Cooper in Thanks. Ottawa. Well, the B.C. Court of Appeal has ruled in favor of the Canadian Plastic Bag Association, finding the city of Victoria's plastic bag ban invalid. The municipal bylaw came into effect a little over a year ago, preventing businesses from issuing or selling single-use plastic bags. In that time, the city estimates more than 17 million plastic bags have been eliminated. But the Court of Appeal found the city defined the dominant purpose of the bylaw was to protect the natural environment. That would require approval from the Environment Ministry, which is something the city failed to get. Mayor and council are now considering their options. This issue is really important and that's why we're going to take our next steps very carefully. Um, cities have a role in uh, building sustainable communities. It says so right there in the community charter. Uh, and so before we would ap appeal to the minister to approve our bylaw, we want to make sure uh, and explore um, you know, what is the full extent of our authority. We'll review the decision very carefully in that light. Now, in the meantime, Mayor Helps is hopeful businesses will continue to follow the practices that are already in place. Right now, though, more on our series looking at the struggle employees can face when it comes to fair and proper payment. Last night, we reported on a whistleblower who's leading a class action lawsuit against Steve Nash Fitness World, alleging it failed to fully pay its staff. The company denies the allegations, but tonight we talk to experts who say wage-related violations are a widespread problem and it goes well beyond the fitness industry. Sharon Freeman has gone from leading workouts to leading a $20 million class action lawsuit against her employer, Steve Nash Fitness World. My goal um, by pursuing this is to show people that we do have a right to speak up, that we shouldn't be muzzled by an employer or anybody. The suit alleges, among other things, a systematic failure to properly pay wages. The company denies the claims, which have not been proven in court. This comes about a year after a $7.5 million settlement in a similar class action against Good Life Fitness. Gyms and the fitness industry in particular are sort of like petri dishes or hotbeds for, for exploitation because they contain both of those things. A lack of information and misinformation and just rampant misclassification. Employment lawyer Leah Moody, who's not involved in either case, says employees in the fitness and gym industry are often misclassified as contractors. For years, this industry operated on the basis that recruitment and consultation and prep time were things that you just didn't get paid for. It was the cost of doing business. And uh, it's quite clear, according to Employment Standards Acts across the country, that 
these are work functions and they need to be paid. Experts say it's a problem plaguing several sectors where wages are low and fear of losing a job is high. In B.C., recent labor code changes, the first in nearly two decades, added protections for workers but still fall short, according to the B.C. Federation of Labor. What we've asked for in, the, in our budget submission is uh, $26 million be invested into the employment standards, particularly for employment standards officers to be able to help with this. The first ever union contract in the North American fitness industry was ratified less than two years ago at Good Life Fitness in Ontario, partly in response to employee complaints about labour violations. People that are ESL or maybe, you know, not quite adept to understanding, those people get really taken advantage of and it's a shame. It's a shame, shame on employers that do that. Freeman says she hopes her own lawsuit will help lead to systemic change so she and her colleagues can focus on carrying weights at the gym rather than the burden of having to work for free to meet their job requirements. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Saanich police are looking for a suspect in a slow joyride after a riding lawnmower was stolen from a locked shed. The thief or thieves drove it to a schoolyard where they did donuts and struck two goalposts before finally ditching the machine. An officer ended up riding the mower back to its owner with some minor damage. Right now, a charity that runs a daycare is taking the Surrey School Board to court. It's been running the Growing Together Daycare for teen moms for more than three decades. But the charity claims the school board has abruptly ended their contract and that the explanation doesn't make sense. Nadia Stewart has the story. For the last 33 years, this has been a place where children come to grow together with their parents. For a lot of the young parents that are here, we become their, their family sometimes. It's why Options Community Services CEO Christine Moore says they were caught off guard a few months ago when the Surrey School District said it no longer wanted them to operate the high school daycare program, growing together. One providing childcare and support for teen parents so they can graduate. Moore says concerns were raised after they were designated as one of 53 $10 a day daycare prototype sites. They were really concerned about that. It's still unclear as to why. But other than hearing about that, no, there we've never had any complaint or any concern expressed about the quality of work that we do, what we do, or, or anything else. We've had many meetings with Options over the last several months. Surrey School District disputes Options claims the board has not been clear on why they want new operators. We think that uh, the focus uh, has changed a bit and uh, we want to bring it back to uh, what we had intended the program to be years ago. Uh, it was never intended to be a community daycare and uh, it, it's, got, it's tending to go in that direction. Beyond that, the board is not saying much, mainly because Options is seeking a court injunction on the grounds they're being kicked out before their August 2020 lease renewal date. I was 15 when I found out I was pregnant. It was Gemma Rose says the program was instrumental in her life, allowing her to finish school and raise her son. She says Options isn't just an operator, they're family. And you can't replace family. I lost a child two months ago and they made sure to reach out and stay in touch with me now. That shows, that's family. That's not just a daycare. Both sides will be in court August 14th unless the injunction is granted. Options has to be out of here by August 31st. Nadia Stork, Global News.
Purolator says it's getting into the same-day delivery game. The Courier announcing it's launching seven-day-a-week same-day delivery service in Vancouver. The company says it's stepping up its service to meet consumer e-commerce demand. Purolator gets an average of 14,000 shipments a week through its Metro Vancouver facilities and predicts in the next five years, half of Canada's deliveries will be direct to home. Do you have any comments? Any allegations? Headley frontman Jacob Hogard in a Toronto court today for a preliminary hearing on his sex assault case. The 25-year-old has pleaded not guilty to charges relating to three separate incidents involving a woman and a girl under the age of 16. If the case goes to trial, it'll be heard by a judge and jury. The Calgary Stampede is under fire again tonight after the death of a second horse this year. The horse broke its leg during last night's chuck wagon race and the decision was made to euthanize it. Another horse collapsed and died during a Monday race, but results of a necropsy on that horse haven't been released. Humane societies in Calgary and Vancouver have strongly criticized the chuck wagon races and have called for them to be eliminated. And let me just correct one thing. Jacob Hogard is 35. Not 25. Nailed it. All right. Ford is the focus of a new investigation tonight accused of knowingly selling cars with defective transmissions. The two models, the Focus and the Fiesta, being driven on the roads right now by more than a million people. For nearly a decade, they've been two of Ford's least expensive models promising great gas mileage. But the Ford Focus and Fiesta were almost immediately plagued with transmission problems. Now, a Detroit Free Press investigation has uncovered internal documents suggesting Ford knew from the beginning the cars had defective transmissions. But emerging from the Great Recession and desperate to sell cars, Ford rolled them out anyway, even as company employees warned the cars were not roadworthy. Despite the warnings, they went ahead and, in fact, fast-tracked development. So there were red flags, caution, slow down, but they were meeting deadlines. Customers complained the transmission would randomly lose power on freeways or suddenly engage and jump into an intersection. Ryan Karcheski says he's replaced two clutches in just five years. I would not feel confident selling this car to somebody else and having them drive it. I don't know if I could sleep at night if that happened. The paper found no deaths but 50 reports of related injuries. Yet despite nearly 4,400 customer complaints, the government still hasn't launched an investigation or ordered a recall. In April, Ford warned shareholders it could cost billions to fix the cars and potentially more in class action lawsuits. In a statement, the company acknowledges transmission problems but says, while we have addressed quality problems with the transmission, vehicles in which it was installed were and remain safe. Ford says fixing the problem has taken more time and is more complex than expected. Meanwhile, one and a half million Fiesta and Focus models remain on the road. A massive fire burning in Russia today. A number of people posting video to social media of huge fireballs and plumes of smoke coming from a power plant near Moscow. There are reports one person died and more than a dozen others were injured. At one point, flames shot more than 100 meters in the air and more than 150 firefighters were called in to fight the flames. There are a lot more questions than answers tonight after two graves were excavated inside the Vatican. Forensic experts opened the two 19th century tombs looking for evidence in the disappearance of a 15-year-old girl who vanished 36 years ago. 
Her family had received an anonymous note directing them to search in the cemetery where an angel is looking. As it turned out, the tombs were completely empty, even missing the remains of two princesses who were supposed to have been interred there. In Health Matters tonight, a new study is tying sugary drinks, including 100% fruit juice, to an increased risk of cancer. French researchers say soda and even fruit juice are significantly associated with the risk of overall cancer. They found no such connection with artificially sweetened drinks. They stress this doesn't mean sugary drinks cause cancer. And as is often the case, they say more research is needed to confirm their findings. Check out this remarkable image tweeted out by the, uh, who was it? It was Oceanwise. Yes, Oceanwise tweeted it out. A huge egg yolk jellyfish spotted on the Sunshine Coast. The jellyfish can grow to more than a half meter across with tentacles longer than six meters. They are considered relatively harmless to humans. Pretty cool to spot that in the water, though, right? It does look like an egg, that's for sure. <laughs> it sure does. The Fraser Valley Regional Library is hoping to spawn an entirely new generation of amateur ornithologists with an unusual new program. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the library is moving beyond just books and now offering bird-watching starter kits for loan. Really see the mallard up close with these binoculars? No. One in five Canadians confesses to being a bird watcher, and those numbers are on the rise. I like being outdoors. I like seeing different types of birds. You just never know what kind of bird, a new bird that you will discover. Come on, my birding buds. These birders all work for the Fraser Valley That's Regional the Library. They're here at Mill Lake in Abbotsford, trying out their latest, greatest offering to the public, bird watching backpacks. So we have a really great pair of binoculars, we have a couple of really good birding guides, and of course the backpack to carry all that with you. You're responsible for bringing your own lunch. You can just see a whole bunch of people walking down the path with their left ear bag. Fifty of the backpacks will soon be distributed to the region's 25 libraries, where they can be signed out for a week at a time. If you didn't know that today's libraries are about more than books, then you haven't visited one for a while. The mandate of the library is to serve all of the people in the community, and birding is a huge part of a lot of people's lives in our communities. I tell them that we loan robots, we loan telescopes, we have virtual reality, we have green screens, we have ukuleles you can borrow. Today's libraries do whatever it takes to not only connect people in their communities, but enhance their lives and advance their knowledge of the world around them. That includes birds. About learning, learning new things, learning about new birds, and being outdoors, being with your family. An appreciation for nature, for the importance of conservation. I think this is going to go through the roof. I think we're going to have so many holds on this, we're not going to be able to keep up with the demand. Are you ready to expand already? <laughs> I think we're going to have to. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the reason homeowners are warned about bird feeders. After the forecast, why this bear's meal was rudely interrupted. Pretty brave, pretty brave dog about to appear. We'll show you that in a moment. Right now, we'll check in with Christy and a look at our forecast and a beautiful evening out there so far.
Yes, but it's sure to take a while for things to clear today. This is a scene out there right now, but the thick clouds were lingering a little longer. And that has to do with your Friday and your weekend, everyone. We've got a bit of an if that is involved. So we're going to get into that in a sec. First, though, I want to show you Tropical Storm Barry. Uh, over the next two days, it's going to make its way towards the coast, and it is a slow-moving storm. It's not the winds. As you can see, the winds only up to about 110, which is still strong, but in comparison to a hurricane, of a larger strength that is not as much but it's more so the rainfall so the storm surge could be up to about six feet that's above my head and then in addition to that they could see up to 500 millimeters of rain 20 inches of rain over the next couple of days so it really will be the water that will be potentially deadly in that area so we'll be tracking that over the next couple of days and this is the second storm of the season by the way the last one the first one was way back in may even before the storm season started for us, we have a severe thunderstorm watch in effect. We had a warning that has now ended. Right now, we're just watching to see if any of these storms become severe. But right now, we've just got a bunch of lightning strikes and non-severe storms. So let's talk about tomorrow and your weekend, everyone. Today, we saw the cloud cover. Tomorrow morning, you can expect that cloud cover as well. And it will take a little while for it to clear. But I think you, you can expect that sunshine earlier than what we saw today. And we'll warm up to 21 to 25 degrees. Here's the concern, though. The jet stream typically driving way up and over us to bring lots of sunshine. That's not the case. We've got a weak little ridge, and that's why I think even as we head into the weekend, it weakens further. We'll continue with some cloud cover, and I've kept in a slight chance of showers in our forecast for the next couple of days. So here's a look at... It's only a slight chance, though, everyone, just so you know. But just if you're, you know, planning any outdoor activities, barbecues, camping, things like that, make sure you're prepared for a little bit of rain. Tomorrow, though, only mix of sun and clouds, so certainly some cloud cover across the region. But over the next couple of days, there you go. I've kept in that slight chance, so just so everyone's aware. Don't freak out, everyone. It's just a slight chance. Slight That's chance. right. Okay, thanks, Christy. On the, on the board. All right. A backyard camera in New Jersey captures a frightening confrontation between a family pet and a much bigger opponent. Starts out kind of cool. A bear knocks over a bird feeder for an evening snack. A reminder of why organizations like Bear Aware warn us about leaving bird feeders too low to the ground. But pretty quickly watch what happens. The meal interrupted by the neighbor's fearless family dog who attacks without hesitation. The bear very quickly realizes the bird feed probably isn't worth the battle and <laughs> runs off. But oh, my. That's a big, strong dog, too, though. No kidding. <laughs> Mark Stinziano. The bear's like, what? Stinziano <laughs> 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 was the guy who posted the video. Just oh, wait till all his bear friends see that video. Embarrassing, right? <laughs> yeah, embarrassing. Dude. Come on. Yeah, I was half your size, man. <laughs> For a long time. Swat him aside. Okay, BC Lions have to be better. Yeah. We all agree? We all agree? We all agree. We are in agreement. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they actually were lucky they won last week. Right. Barely beating Toronto and doing it with the lovely parting gift point off a missed field goal has proven nothing about the Lions' new coaching staff and their players. We don't know if they've figured it all out yet. A win over Edmonton tonight, though, would be a lot more convincing. The Lions played Edmonton in week two on the road. They lost 39-23. It was BC's worst performance so far this year. Tonight, the Lions, as we said, home just the second time this year in the regular season. But they are playing their second game in five days. 
Um, you know, and it's a short week after a long trip back east, so it'll be nice to be back in our home stadium. Uh, it's been about a month since we played there. Um, you know, but on short weeks generally, um, they can they can actually be an advantage in the sense of you don't have a lot of time to put a bunch of crazy stuff in. You just do what you do well. And so, uh, you know, we got to be prepared to come out and play physical and play aggressive. That's what we were lacking the last time that we played them. Okay, we talked about this yesterday. After the Canucks signed Michael Furlan as a free agent, um, after spending their top draft picks on guys who are mostly pure skill but not big like Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, they are trying to surround those type of players with size. And not just size, but size with attitude. As NHL general managers like to say, you need skill to get you into the playoffs, but then you need toughness to succeed in the playoffs. Tyler Myers has looked really good. There is one common theme with the Canucks' most recent acquisitions. They've made the team much bigger, meaner, and grittier. And that's not a coincidence. Jim Benning felt those were elements the Canucks have been sorely lacking. Now, we still want to play the same style game. We still want to play fast, but we just feel like we got a bigger, stronger team now that can um, you know, play through a whole season. Um, and hopefully not have as many injuries and, you know, score more goals by getting to the net. Steals the puck away, starts in. Oh, Furlan had him oh, lined man. up from a long way. The latest free agent pickup, Michael Furland, is expected to be all that and more. He brings the physical, plays on and over the edge at times, and has the hands to score and play with top talented players. A role the Canucks were hoping Jake Vertanen would be embracing by now. I think bringing in Michael, you know, is is going to be good for Jake because he's going to see the way, you know, on a game-to-game basis how physical Michael plays, and but yet he still has the skill in the hands to make good plays and play with good players. Furlan's contract makes things very tight salary cap-wise for the Canucks. If they're going to sign Brock Besser in the 7 to $8 million per season range, then they'll have to shed more salaries. That could mean sending veterans down to the minors like Louis Erickson. But there are other options. Antoine Roussel will still be out with a knee injury when the season starts in October. You know, we can go one option is to go into LTI with uh, Roussel because... You know, with his injury, he's not probably going to be back till November, December. Um, and but we got a, du- a bunch of different plans in place to to make sure that we have enough room. So Benning's off-season work is almost complete. It's down to re-signing Brock Besser, which he insists will get done, and then we'll see if this team is ready to contend for a playoff spot, which has been the plan with the upgrades this summer. We want to take a step next year and, and be competitive. And um, I think, you know, the offseason, we've shown to the players on our team and our fan base that we're serious about, you know, getting better and taking that next step. All right, Serena Williams, uh, Barbara Srikova of the Czech Republic. It's semifinal action. It's Wimbledon. It's where Serena has had so many grand moments. Not the best point so far. Yep. Up 3-1 there. Got some touch at the net. Oh, that's clever. She wins the first set 6-1. Looking to get to her 11th Wimbledon final in singles play. She'll get there. 
She has won seven so far. Whom will she play? Well, it'll be Simona Halep. I'm not sure there is. Alina's fit Could not handle Halep. 6-3, 6-1. I wonder if I sounded like that in the tennis court if I play any better. I got to think about that yelling. I got to do the yelling thing. All these people are doing the yelling thing. I got to get into it. But then you know if you do it in a recreational court, they'll just probably toss you off. That's you right. Know? He'll be asked to leave. Yeah, the, the, strangely yeah, the chump sure. screaming over there. Get rid of him. Coming up on ET Canada, complete coverage of Jacob Hogarth's preliminary hearing today. Plus, we're back at the Calgary Stampede with Lindsay L's reaction to her CCMA noms. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you very much, Sangeeta. Watch out. I'm, I'm about to get hit by a disc, <laughs> a flying disc, part of a very cool game that's getting a little closer to the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's been around for quite a long time. I remember way back when there was a Seinfeld episode where George said, I'm going to play Frolf, Frisbee golf, Frolf. but it's not actually Frolf. <laughs> it's disc golf. She's anyway, <laughs> she's not a bad name, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, so disc golf, and there are a lot of disc golf courses around the province, and oh, yeah. there's one that's uh, recently been uh, built out in Langley. That's one we went to to learn more about this game. For a growing number of people, This is their version of golf. Disc golf is similar to regular golf in that each hole is a par 3, 4, or 5, and players have discs called drivers and some called putters. This is what's known as a putter, so it flies flies straight and slow, and then as you move up to increasing speeds, they get thinner and thinner, so they cut through the air more, and they'll travel farther. And apparently if you play enough disc golf, you'll become a bit of an amateur aeronautical engineer. In golf, you can slice and you can draw and you can do different left to right shapes and up and down in height. With disc golf, I can do all of that, but I can also shape the disc left to right and then right to left in the same shot. The biggest difference between disc golf and regular golf is time and money. 18 holes of disc golf lasts only around two hours. And you can get started in the game for very little money. Essentially, if you wanted to just get out there and play, you could do it for 12 bucks. You could go get a bottom line Frisbee and you can go and you can throw in any one of the courses in uh, the lower mainland and they're all free. One of those courses is Raptors Knoll in Langley, which is considered one of the best in the Pacific Northwest. This course is, I've played a lot of courses around the world and this is top-notch course. We are very lucky to have this in the Lower Mainland. So you can have rec players, intermediate players, pros can all come out and this course will test you. That's right, there are professionals in disc golf. In fact, they have world championships. Canada is a defending world champions in the team competition. And how can you tell when someone is great at disc golf. Throw a disc about 300 feet dead straight. Everybody can make their disc go right, everybody can make their disc go left, up, down. Being able to throw a disc dead straight for about 300 feet, in my opinion, is the hardest shot in disc golf. That's I wanted to show that twice just to show how straight that guy threw it. It's yeah. amazing how well they throw. Yeah, that is, it, it, and that's an, it's, it is like golf. There are holes, and they say, but it's more of a birdie game than a par game. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. More likely I don't keep to score. That's, That's a good idea, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what you're doing. Never keep... Pretty much. I'm, I'm with you now. Never keep score at anything. <laughs> All right. Hope you get a hole-in-one next time you play. Thanks for watching. Good night.